Hey, y'all. You're listening to Diagnosing Sitcoms and Movies, the DSM podcast. We help make mental health more comfortable by using Black movies and shows we know and love and culture to remove stigma. So join our convo with your host, Courtney Copeland, licensed mental health counselor. And Dr. B, licensed professional counselor. So this week we are talking about the 1993 uh, romantic drama <laughs> written by the genius film director, John Singleton, starring Janet Jackson and Tupac and Regina King and Joe Torrey and a whole bunch of cameos from other awesome Black people. We're talking about poetic justice. And we have someone very, very special, near and dear to both Rosie and I as yes. a uh, uh-huh, as a special guest this week. Another Aggie, because Aggies do. Aggies are yes. great. Aggie pride. Aggie pride. <laughs> 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 we are joined by the fellow New Yorker as well, Rafaela Fialo. She, her, hers. She's a licensed clinical social worker and therapist specializing in relationships, sex, and trauma. Hey, Rafaela. Hey, girl. Hi. Hey, girl. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Loving the energy off that already. I know, I know you were talking with Courtney earlier about some uh, memories, but my first memory and interaction with you was as like my student lead, like for the um, like the tour of A and T, and that's where we hit it off. And you've been like a person in my life ever since. So I just want to say I'm happy to see everything come full circle. This is so cool. Yes, I remember that hot summer day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> walking on campus <laughs> and answering questions and just vibing out with family so yes that reminder. look yes. at god bringing us all around yes Back at one. <laughs> so before um we dig into the the film we just want to say yes Raphael, we appreciate you so much for agreeing to bless our show with your presence and just wanted to let both of you know that all I do is dress and rest because love don't live here anymore. <laughs> That's my favorite quote from the whole movie. Usually I have a whole bunch of quotes. I just have one and it's it's that. I'm good. <laughs> Drops mic. <laughs> right. I was like, oh, who hurt you? Baby. <laughs> but so she many. was fine though. She was fine. So I have to give it time for sure. Mm-hmm. Anybody else wish our quotes from the film? I had a quote from her as well. Um, and she was just basically like, most of these young girls today don't know their cooch from a hole in the wall. See, mm. that's why I dress and rest. So mine was right before that. <laughs> you <laughs> want it all in its entirety. See, I was right. cutting and pasting. You wanted the whole version. Well, you know, that sticks <laughs> out to me because, you know, I'm a, I'm a sex relationship therapist and an educator. So even talking about body parts and how um, intentionally miseducated we can be about our bodies. So it really stood out when she said they don't know this from that. And I'm like, that's true. Because I work with people who literally said they didn't know where to put the tampon, the penis, or, or the toy. You know? Mm-hmm. They don't look at themselves. They don't really have an awareness. So that really struck me. And then she hit me with the so I dress. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you're right. You're right. There are a lot of quotable, but that, that really reminded me of conversations I've had. So I'm childish. And the ones that stood out to me was when she was like, come closer. You want to smell my punani? Hmm? Yeah. Jesse. Yeah. Come in for a minute, please. And she has her blowing his face, 
hilarious. That would always stand out for me. But then also when um, Aisha, no, when Justice says, they still gonna fuck you up. <laughs> when they get off the uh, cart. What, what do you even call that? A mail, mail truck? truck? Mail truck. I was like, mail cart. I do know it's illegal to touch other people's mail. Is it illegal to have sex on other people's mail? Because that's exactly what Chicago and Isha was doing. And I thought about it and I was like, wait a minute, y'all is on people's mail. (laughs) It's illegal, but I think it's definitely against policy. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a fuck. (laughs) For sure. Like, not only do you have this whole truck going on joy rides, but you- Right. I was thinking, you know, there's going to be some liquor spilled on the bag. Something's going to happen, but that never, you know, that never happened. No, Aisha is a true alcoholic. She's going to spill her liquor now. She was like, you know well, I was thinking it was going to be on them for fighting or something like that. She's true. True. That's true. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's, mm-hmm. not gonna, she's not going to wait to drop. She caught that thing in the air. <laughs> 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 she was going in. Uh, you know, one thing that stood out to me with, with watching this again was like, I actually watched it. You know, it's it was something different than just having it on TV and then just passively looking at it. But really li- listening and paying attention to a lot of the things that were happening. And I didn't even realize, you know, that alcoholism was like the big thing for her. You know, I just kind of, I don't know, I just, it just kind of glossed over when I watched it the first few times, but I thought that was interesting. And the alter, the physical altercation didn't stand out too much to me, but this time it did. So there's a lot more that stood out to me now as an, an, as an adult woman that I was like, whoa, this is not okay. <laughs> you know, versus being young and just watching it because Janet and Tupac is in it, you know? Absolutely. I think a lot, so much of that movie was really romanticized. And so watching it now, I'm just like, Mm -hmm. so now we in love with this person who called you all types of bitches, told you fuck, you had a fuck you battle going on. Talking all that shit, walk your ass home. Scandalous ass motherfucker, do them fucking fat ass thighs some good anyway. I bet not see your ass in LA, okay? I'ma get somebody to fuck you up, motherfucker. Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you. Out of the truck, allowed you to kick yourself out of the truck, drove off and talk all this shit, but now, but now yeah. we're like, oh, this is, I was like, this is too toxic for me. We're, we didn't have the language then. We didn't have the language for toxicity like we do now. Yeah. But we really, I'm like, oh, this is a so love happy. Story. This is a I'm love so happy story. y'all agree. Because <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was going to be me. I thought I was just going to be like, man, yeah. this shit <laughs> is low-key unhealthy and nobody yeah. should be. And I was, I was, okay. So first I was like, you know, because, uh, being, I was low-key triggered because some of this stuff reminded me of some stuff that I've been actually mm. witnessed. And then, mm. so I think watching it as a as a younger um, child, I didn't see as many things wrong because I, it was just so normal to me. And so now that I've you know been able to see other things and realize how I would like to be treated, how I would like to treat other people, mm-hmm. I see all of the red flags and all of the, oh, mm-hmm. no, mm, no, mm-hmm. that's not okay. And yeah. so... <laughs> part of me was like so huh this is just is just society wears us down so much that it's so difficult for young people to face each other after being socialized to fight and survive then you have to try to be emotional and vulnerable with a partner and seeing how difficult that is for young people but then I was like 
thinking about how like people was really like, oh, once upon a time in South Central. And I was like, no, this is not no damn fairy tale. Mm-hmm. And I was like, mm-hmm. justice really is just picking from a barrel of mediocre men uh, on which one is the is the least terrible. And then like, it's a story about like, well, how companionship can benefit a woman because of just natural human nature and how companionship you like just actually need to be around other people to survive. But then like, uh, you're picking from these men that are damaged, that have been destroyed by society and just beat up on. And then you have to endure all of their trauma on top of anything that you might be going through. Basically teach them how to love, clean their fucking fingernails, make them into better people in order to have an opportunity to have a relationship with somebody. And I was like, this ain't okay, damn it. That, no. <laughs> exactly. You hit it. You hit it all on the head. I think not really knowing what to accept because that's all you know and it's kind of normalized so i think remembering that and as a kid we didn't really know like what we were watching it's just entertainment and then or if we grew up in households or communities like that it's just like that's what it is because that's essentially what john singleton was doing right like i just want to write a real story and so when you think of that, it really does make almost even more sad, right? Because this is not something that you're making up. This is something you're saying, I see, I witness, I experience, or whatever the case is. And a lot of people relate to this day that this is what relationships look like and will always look like because of circumstances or self-love or, you know, access or whatever the case is. Well, here's my issue. I also feel, I've, I've been looking into um, sexual health, especially for African-American women. And I was com- I came across like a blog type of article that was talking about how our depiction and understanding of what it means to be in a healthy relationship is also co- has come from a colonization. And, and that mm-hmm. we only know the type of love language or um, behaviors that we see on TV because it was taught to us in that way and that this isn't this isn't how we really love you know and unfortunately because of Hollywood how we really love as black women and just being black in general is not correctly or adequately visible and that I think that's a part of the the sadness is that we do have these types of movies that we look at and say, oh, this is what Black love looks like and this is what Black love is. And this is not healthy at all, especially the the scene where Tupac and I'm not even calling him by his real name in this movie. <laughs> I keep calling him Tupac. Him and his baby mother are arguing. But I also thought it was very interesting in the relationship he had with her other baby father. And then the fight that they had with the guy who was in their basin with her. It was a very interesting relationship. Well, they weren't basin. Were they basin? I thought they were No, they were not basin. They were uh, engaged in physical activity. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. So but he found the the pipe which she used which she uses Mm -hmm. and says that she's been doing it in front of my daughter. But then that goes into that whole idea of polygamy and you know, just had limited availability of quality men because at that time they were being swept up, you know, by the feds and by DEA and all. I mean, this is, you know, Los Angeles at that time. So a lot of black men aren't even, you know, available. So you only have slim pickings to choose from in the, in the first place. So that's, yeah. that's just my thought process on it. I think also this idea of slim pickings is um, emphasized because there's this idea that you have to pick in the first place. 
So, mm-hmm. you know, she's grieving and everyone's just like, when you, we don't have an idea of the time frame, first of all, but also mm-hmm. she literally has experienced a very terrible and traumatic situation. And people are literally just mm-hmm. like, so, you know, your new man now, you know, the <laughs> yeah. best way to get under, over someone is to get on top of someone type of mentality. Yes. Yes. But also it's just like, are we not going to just acknowledge the trauma or is right. it that there's so much trauma happening where it's just like, girl, this happens, probably going to happen to the next one. So just go ahead and get with somebody else before, you know, before it's too late. Um, I think it's both. And to your point, like it happens so frequently, get over it. But then also like, we kind of have this idea, like you got, in order for you to get over someone, you have to replace that person to get mm-hmm. over them. And that's kind of what Jesse said too, was telling her like, in this neighborhood, girl, you're going to go through a lot of black men. Like, they're, they just are tools. And so you need to know when to pick them up and what when to put them mm-hmm. down. And I felt like mm-hmm. that was probably why she was so jaded. And so just all I do is dress and rest because she might have experience just going, like, losing so many black men to whatever circumstances it may be, whether it is to the streets, whether it is to loss and death, whether it is to drugs, another woman, like, whatever it is, she might have lost so many and had her heart broke so much that that was was her way of protection. And I feel like we see so many defense mechanisms and and trying to, like, just basic survival and protecting of uh, one's Mm -hmm. feelings in this movie that it, 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 it makes sense then that everyone is struggling with relating to each other and everyone is, is struggling with being vulnerable with each other because they are experiencing so much extra stuff on top of it and I think that is a testament to the honest storyteller of John Singleton and him wanting to um it, like with Boys in the Hood this was kind of a follow-up from that this is literally his second movie and he basically was saying like I wanted to have a trilogy of South mm-hmm. Central movies and this was the the romance from that trilogy of the three where the first is more so like and his action movie where this one is uh, more of a love story and just showing people relating to one another so let's call it a relating movie and not yeah. a love <laughs> yeah because there's there's no love yeah but even <laughs> about like um they can't relate to one another i do think yes but also keeping in mind that relating to someone is an intention it's an action and so oftentimes, like people are not taking the time to slow down and pause and reflect on what could this person be going through? It's just a lot of reaction. So um, remembering, like, if we want to relate, we need to slow down and actually think about it. It's not something that's just off bat. Oh, I can't really relate to this experience or this person. Exactly. I definitely agree with that. And I feel like <laughs> that takes us right into um, conversation of diagnosis because I didn't diagnose uh, Lucky just because I, I don't know. I just didn't diagnose him with a full on DSM diagnosis. I just basically said he had no emotional intelligence. Like he could not relate. <laughs> like when Jenny got to the point where she was expressing that, um, no, this was the love of my life. Like this was my first love and I lost him. And he was like, oh, so you was in it for the money. Bruh, that's not what she said. <laughs> she just said, she just opened up and poured out. Like for the first time we see her expressing any emotion about the situation that happened to anybody. She's being extremely vulnerable, telling you that this was her first love and how she lost him. And he like, hmm, these strips is good. So you was in it for the money, huh? Bruh. <laughs> so, 
golden like, and basically she just told me. <laughs> I gave right. him zero emotional intelligence and I don't even know if it's to hit the fault of his own and just him really not knowing any better and yeah. not having the opportunity to really grow yet in yeah. that area. <laughs> so I wanted to hear what did y'all uh, have any diagnosis or what did y'all think about Lucky? Yeah, for Lucky, I didn't... Um diagnosed either just because I didn't feel like there was enough information and and you're gonna see me say that quite a few times throughout this thing um but I did talk I did notice that you know his ex-girlfriend or the child of his um the mother of his child is um struggling with substance abuse and probably has their own trauma of course and then we don't see a father depicted um in his life when he goes to visit his mom and then at the end you know of course he sees his cousin's body and so maybe you know down the line we could potentially talk about trauma is that the first time he see he's um seen a dead body probably not not really sure though don't want to assume because we know not everyone from the hood have the same hood experiences um or ex level of exposure but yeah he has a rotten attitude but i will say that a lot of that is likely due to conditioning and exposure and the way that we are told that we're supposed to interact with other people, especially in a very cis heteronormative society and black misogynoir, you know, all this stuff is just like, fuck bitches and hoes and ride for your guys and make music and drink and all this other stuff. And so I just kind of leaned into that, but not really going into a diagnosis versus like, what is the biopsychosocial aspects of this person? Yeah, I agree. I think that uh, Lucky was definitely very angry. Um, and I think that was his core emotion. It seems like th those were just the two. It was like, okay, um, he felt happy or a sense of joy and then anger. Like those were just like for, for things that maybe he didn't even understand. If I were to give him a diagnosis just for the sake of it being a diagnosing, sick, um, diagnosing podcast, Disruptive mood uh, dysregulation disorder that has severe reoccurrent temper out outbursts manifested uh, verbally. And so that makes me think of the verbal altercation that he had with Janet back and forth in, in both situations. A temper outbursts are inconsistent with the developmental level. And that, I guess, is difficult with trying to give him this diagnosis because it is, to me, it's like, okay, he's trying to be a man, he's trying to be a father. And I guess to assert dominance, it, you have to talk to a woman derogatory. It, it, it just, it doesn't match his 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 anger and his behavior or um, reactions to what's happening don't, don't necessarily match, but that's also because he's not mature enough um, to understand how to express those emotions. And then the move between temper outbursts, um, irritable or angry most of the day, nearly every day still kind of debating on that one because uh, we see well when we're watching it from our perspective he does seem kind of irritable <laughs> for most of the movie um so that's why i i would go with this particular disorder but there are some limitations to to this diagnosis as you know we don't have enough information for it so and I don't want to just bash Lucky. I mean, he is like heavy, mediocre vibe. <laughs> but I did appreciate him stepping up as a father. I definitely appreciated him feeling like, you know what? Like, okay, sir, I don't know why you chose to have a baby with this woman who sounds like she's from Baltimore with that heavy you accent. 
So is this basing, is that something that's new for her? For this to be an addiction to that level where she's leaving a pipe in, in the candy dish on her living room table, it just seems to me like that's not a, a new some occurrence. So that means that you had a baby with a woman who bases, who already had a baby with the local neighborhood drug dealer that is hustling outside of her apartment because the son seemed like he was older than the daughter. And so like you did that with this woman who you are- Sorry, I had to You already, yes, please add because yes, it's a mess. No, no, I'm just saying, saying, and the little boy wanted to leave the drama too. So I started looking at, not to say I diagnosed the kids or anything, but I was just considering like ACEs. adverse uh childhood experiences and Mm -hmm. i'm just like so these kids are already there's some neglect there um and then they witness this they've witnessed violence um which to them kids i mean who knows how that's registered i don't know how common this is but they everyone seems pretty angry and then the little boy when you know when um lucky took his daughter he was like i want to go please take me um so I was definitely looking at that and it made me think about again every like all the things that people in this community are very likely experiencing so I like where you were going with that Rosie about the dysregulation but I'm also just thinking now like just depression maybe because you know we're talking about irritability you know we're talking about all these different things and mm-hmm. living in a place where your resources are limited where your opportunities are limited when your value and is limited you're not being acknowledged in terms of like this period of time as a black person in US in LA specifically, what was happening? Because we already saw like some police stuff happening. I'm not really sure. But we saw some And it literally was the riots. Like they showed the, the buildings burned down in the background. Exactly. So it's a lot happening at this time where maybe depression could fit or some unspecified type of situation. I don't know. <laughs> No, I definitely, I dig the unspecified just because we don't have as much information about like previous, if this was something over time, like we don't know that stuff. So I definitely dig the unspecified. Um, and yes, the, that little boy saying, I want to go. <laughs> and I was like, dad, cause your dad is here and your dad is okay with you being here. So this is your life, buddy, all <laughs> wrapped up. At least Keisha is going to have a chance to, you know, experience something different. So I did appreciate Lucky, like, feeling like, no, this is not the environment for my child. I'm taking her out of here. And, yeah. like, it did seem like he was focused on what he had to do, him working, all of, him doing all of those things to provide for his daughter when uh, <laughs> our uh, favorite character, Dookie, pulls up. He's like, yo, we about to go get the fools that got such and such around the corner. It was Dookie. Lucky was like, well, all right, well, I'll see y'all fools later. Like, it could have been very that. easy for that. Mm-hmm. And, I, that and I feel that it comes up later on, too, because even when Chicago and Isha is fighting, she like, I'm going to get Dookie and Monster to shoot your ass. And I was like, oh, wait, that's the niggas from Boys in the Hood. I like how he brought that full circle. But um, it's possible. It's likely because look what they was just getting ready to do. Exactly. So, um, I just, I definitely want to highlight, and I thought it was very progressive that the two fathers were getting along and able to coexist, and there wasn't no beef between them. And I felt like, at that, least like, from I liked, what we saw, from at least what we saw, we mm-hmm. also have to say, if they came together, it seems as if the alliance was against the mother, mm-hmm. right? So it was still related to me in my in my eyes, like woman bashing. Because and I didn't get the vibe that it, like a polit- like an open relationship type of thing. To me, it seemed like he was going over there to spend quality time with his kid um, slash work. You know, because 
work never stops when you're in that business. And, <laughs> and Ray sleep, <laughs> snow or hell. <laughs> Someone's on the block. Someone's on the corner. Um, so I read oh, it as that type of vibe where, you know, sometimes we have this, it, we, we know that the father is not involved, but they come around, but they're not involved, right? So it's like, oh, I'm gonna take my kid for the weekend, but they saying that your mothers are saying that your cousins, but they're with you. And so I kind of got that vibe where he's just coming to see what's going on, spending time, but he's he was outside rolling up or whatever he was doing. But it could have been a situation where she snuck the other person in or he don't really, he's not really invested in a relationship and lets her do whatever. I'm not really sure what's going on with that. Yeah, definitely it's didn't strange. get open relationship. I just I, I just like that the fathers got along and they're only like back and forth between them is on who's the better parental figure here. Like she called me daddy, you know, tone local his voice. She called me daddy sometimes uh, too. She called me daddy sometimes anyway. Which means she called you daddy sometimes. Just what I said, she called me daddy sometime. Oh, hell no. Nah. We gonna see who she called daddy. We just gonna have to see her. <laughs> and I'm going back and forth, well, basically, no. Like, I'm the daddy. No, I'm the daddy. Like, and so I just like that the, the both fathers were present and wanting to do what the, the best that they knew. Granted, it might not have been right, but the best that they knew in, in being in the lives of those children. And they they both cared about both of them. It's just when it's time to go, go, the little brother can't go because that ain't my kid. <laughs> I think what's heartbreaking about that is that if that kid, that little boy wanted to get out, you know, and he was forced to be in it. And so it's just like, how many times have these young boys been forced to be in the place that they're trying to get out of, you know? And for him, it's like, he, he just wanted to physically get out. But then you see that even in Boys in the Hood, like the out was either sports and maybe education, maybe. There really wasn't too much of an out. So that just kind of took me to that place with that little boy saying, I want to go, knowing that that's probably going to be his reality for a very long time, you know? Um, and he, he may not ever get a chance to get out, like literally. Because even, in, I mean, in Boys in the Hood, but typically in a lot of these stories, there are going to be like one or two people who are not down for it, but it's related to peer pressure, expectations, safety and protection. Um, so you can't really say no, cause you don't want to have beef with, you know what I'm saying? You you need that. Unless there's someone who's like really geeky and everyone respects him as a geeky person and they don't do <laughs> with him, he's going to get out of here. You know, that's yeah. <laughs> you know? They only do that for the sports people. To be yeah. They do that now for computer people too. If you know computers, they like leave him alone. He, <laughs> you don't need to be out here. You need to be in the house. That's definitely because that definitely was my uh, my status, my role in my hood is that go in the house, get back on the porch. <laughs> this ain't for you. <laughs> Everybody knew I was a nerd. <laughs> we established that early. <laughs> I think we are in. Um, Rosie, are you agreeing with the unspecified, some type of depression, unspecified diagnosis for Lucky? Yeah, I can see that. Cool. Moving on to justice. What did y'all think about justice? Oh, <laughs> I, I just, I gave her um, post-traumatic stress disorder for the, for, for the fact that she, she watched, she watched it happen. Mm -hmm. Did she get they have the splatter of blood on her face I, though? <laughs> I, I, oh. Oh, I, like I really empathized with that for a moment. Like, could you really, you chilling, you enjoying a movie, you expecting to give up some months. You yeah, drew your face, just arrived. Ah, like, uh, 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 slow uh, motion. 
so you did get in the back seat after you saw <laughs> shit. Like, but he knew he knew what was yeah. up he came you know it was like yo somebody I, I got some beef you know and I think just to feel the warmth of that and the the hearing of it just the all of it just to physically be in that place yes she was dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder she was definitely depressed she had i mean she lost interest and she even said that her grandmother would roll over in her grave if she realized she didn't go to college so clearly she had an interest in education just by the simple way that, of the fact that she was able to write in the way that she was able she she wrote and um i think I think that's the, the diagnosis that I'm going to go with. I definitely feel you on that for sure. I So I struggle with this one um, just because of the information we don't have. But I, I led with making assumptions, right? So I definitely could. <laughs> we do it all the time. Please feel comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I could diagnose with PTSD because of directly witnessing violence um, that led to death. So we know that's a criteria. Um, but the stuff in like B category when it's talking about presence of intrusive memories or thoughts and things like that, I just made the assumption like, okay, yeah, you're going to be thinking about this. Maybe you have flashbacks. Maybe you're having nightmares. But none of that is actually showcased. There was a scene where she's like staring off and she starts crying. But I don't know if that's related to grief and loss. So I was leaning towards maybe bereavement. But we know like grief and bereavement is a little tricky in the DSM because they usually mm-hmm. make it to another diagnosis. And yeah, so I was looking at different things like, okay, do we want to go with maybe acute stress disorder? But that only lasts one month. We have no idea what time frame it is here, especially I'm hoping that if it's more than a, if it's less than a month, people are not pressuring her to date. <laughs> right, the way they was talking to her. <laughs> right. But I did want to add to your point, Rafaela, she also lost her grandmother too. And her mom. And her mom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So with the la- the layers of grief and, you know, so I don't know about you, but for me, like once I lose one person, all those other times I've lost someone kind of comes back too. Mm-hmm. So it's like a, a snowball effect of grief in one moment. So mm-hmm. maybe she, it took time to, to deal and process through all of that too. We're still in the process of it, right? Like there, it's not linear as we know healing's not linear. And then you're, you're always reminded you live in your grandmother's house who passed away. And mm-hmm. I'm certain that there's memories of, Markel, her boyfriend there, I'm certain mm-hmm. there's her mom there that you just really can't escape. And she's young, right? So it's not like she's gonna be redoing the whole place. But yeah, so definitely maybe that. I didn't think that C, criteria C was met, um, which is about avoidance that we didn't see. So maybe she no longer goes to that drive-in movie theater. I don't know. So there's a lot of, there's some things we don't know, but I'm imagining, but also just being really real that, you know, we can experience or witness traumatic things doesn't necessarily mean that we're all going to respond or adapt in the same way. So not everyone is going to meet criteria for PTSD, but it's still traumatic. It can be recognized that way and cause a disturbance. And then D, negative altercation, alterations and mood. So I said for this one, um, potentially a, a negative emotional state because everyone's just, why are you not smiling? And, you know, why aren't you joining this conversation? And then market diminished interest or participation in activities. So she's always turning things down. She doesn't want to go out. Um, she's just sitting in the house by herself, listening to sad music. And so that's, how, that's where I went with it a little bit. And then... Um, Arousal, so mark changes in arousal and reactivity. That was a little bit hard for me, but I just kind of assumed that maybe she's, <laughs> you know, struggling with sleep. 
I really didn't say irritable behavior or angry outbursts because that means that comes with little or no. It's not about being provoked, right? So it's just kind of um, a response that didn't really seem warranted, but I felt like people were agitating the hell out of her. And I would have responded the same way, especially Lucky, calling her all types of names. So some of these things I don't think fit all the way, but again, this is a movie. We're not seeing the whole person. And I think it is reasonable to, to assume that these things did happen and to be able to diagnose with some type of stress disorder, likely PTSD for sure. Um, I definitely agree with both of you beautiful ladies and I'm going to make these things fit. Let me run it down for you. <laughs> so I diagnosed with PTSD as well. I did not do acute disorder because I said, look at that new growth. That That is more than a month of new growth. So we are past the time limit on acute and we're going to go full blown PTSD. And so along with that, like you guys uh, explained earlier, the directly expressed in the traumatic event, she had the blood splatter on her face after she was trying to get sexy for just the, the mere mention of her writing poetry and him explaining why he loved her. Um, and then, you know, also the witnessing of his death. And then we have the Reoccurring, involuntary, and intrusive, distressing memories of the traumatic event. And so, yes, the assuming, but also there was like a montage of things that she witnessed. And so they were showing the men being um, harassed by the police, which was something that she witnessed. And then they also shown the glass being blown out when uh, Q-Tip, who I hated that played her boyfriend because he is so New York and like even the way he moved, nothing about him was LA, but they showed that as well. And so I'm like, oh, well maybe that's her memory and that's what she's experiencing. As well as with the um, intense or prolonged psychological distress at exposure to the internal or uh, external cues that symbolize or resemble an aspect of the traumatic events. And so clearly she was experiencing some level of psychological distress. So I said, okay, we're gonna go with that one too. <laughs> and then we have the avoidance uh, or uh, efforts to avoid the different um, external reminders or distressing memories. And so one thing that I correlated with those things is that because everybody was pressing her so much with finding another um, partner, I was like, hmm, so I wonder if she is purposefully not getting involved with another man. Is she, so she's like literally avoiding men because of that experience. And so I was like, okay, well, maybe that could fit the avoidance uh, criteria that we were talking about. And then there is the persistent and exaggerated negative beliefs or expectations about oneself. And that's that could be like, um, I am bad or no one can be trusted or the world is just dangerous. And I think I tied that to uh, the one poem that she was reciting with no one, no one out here can make it alone. And so I was like, okay, that where I put that from. I told you I was going to make it fit. Um, <laughs> as well as the persistent negative emotional state, the feelings or deta of detachment or estrangement from others with Isha kind of be like, y'all never want to do nothing no more. And um, all of that, as well as the her consistently wearing black. And I thought that that was more so a symbolism done by John Singleton of her uh, because later on at the end of the movie, she's in white. And so I felt like the black was a symbolism of her mood that they were trying to communicate in a very cinematic way, as well as the last uh, kind of criteria block with the irritable behavior and angry outburst, which again, I felt like she was kind of provoked. Like you were saying, Rafaela, I just felt like there also was 
a deleted scene because y'all know that I am a nerd and I date deep into these movies that I absolutely love. And so if you uh, if you're bored one day, you could Google deleted scenes from Poetic Justice. And there is one with her um, having trouble sleeping and not being able to sleep and then trying to call Isha. And so I put that with the sleep disturbance. I don't know if that's fair because technically it's from a deleted scene, but you know, we made it happen. All to come together for her diagnosis of PTSD despite people being assholes to her throughout the whole movie. <laughs> right. And you and you know what? And we'll we'll accept that because you know when we are trying to get information about a client, we do reach out for other resources, right? We talk to family, friends sometimes to kind of get a, a full picture. So using the deleted scenes, you can do that. You can do that. So thank you. <laughs> um and so I felt like I I felt a lot for Jada. I mean, not Jada. I felt a lot for Justice and all the things that she kind of went through. And I kind of liked, um, even though John Singleton will even admit himself that the the studios were kind of like, we need a second movie. And so he kind of just put Poetic Justice out here. I think that the symbolism, though, that does exist in the movie was very much quality. And so while I don't feel like she necessarily needs to be in a relationship with uh, Lucky, I did see that that actual doing things, that being engaged with others was something that could help, you know, her be in a different uh, mood or a different state. I liked that there was also the familial aspect of them <laughs> crashing the um, family reunion because family, being around um, people who are expressing love for one another is another thing that you can, uh, is another tactic or strategy of helping improve mood as well as that, uh, I don't know what it was, but I kind of want to go. I feel like the little boy, I want to go to that Pan-Africanism mm-hmm. uh, tea Festival, whatever that was, and <laughs> connections to cultural aspects are also things that can help elevate mood and um, help stabilize as, as a strategy of self-care so I like the different elements that were put in place for her um, and spending time with friends like all of those things because they those are things that we often encourage people to to do is reaching out to family members reaching out to friends spending time with individuals culturally reaching out into what practices feel good for you and like and I feel like we saw her kind of do those things which got her along to a place of being able to put on the white and being uh, being in a different state in a different mood and so that was good I just don't like that she like was trying to fake wanted us to be in a relationship with Lucky. <laughs> it, was, it was forced but it had to happen and also just a bit about like not none of yeah none of them had been to a family reunion before and this family is like i'm assuming they're like maybe from the south or something so we know in the south typically people do have like reunions and other people don't and so i think that was not necessarily important but noticeable um when it comes to black folks and reunions and being able to connect with your family and on a larger part of them being able to come to this reunion and no one know who they are and they're (laughs) one black love but also because Mm -hmm the way that we have been intentionally and strategically um, disconnected from one another, specifically in the U.S. due to enslavement and jails and all this other stuff. So and it's, and it's structured, systematic oppression. Yes. <laughs> but Lucky was like, Black, we all family. Man. 
especially when it comes to barbecue. (laughs) (laughs) So I did appreciate that. And he had mentioned, like, I've never been somewhere or seen this many black people together and there not be no fight. But then they are the ratchets. They brought the fight. Like, y'all started the the best. Like, (laughs) y'all... Y'all already snuck in and then now y'all gonna have to start the problem too. That's and exactly lucky. I was like, so you are, so it's you. <laughs> right. And then Lucky asked for a plate to go. Like, really? That is the most blackish black thing I've seen. You gonna start a fight and then ask for a plate to go. And so yeah, I definitely I I really liked that that whole scene with the family reunion. And even though the little kids did start fighting too, but I guess that don't count. <laughs> I thought it was interesting to see um, and hear with Aunt June, April, and uh, Aunt, wasn't it Aunt May? <laughs> I don't know. I called them my Angelou and friends. I didn't know who the mother ladies were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was looking. I was like, oh, they all had the the month of spring. Like, you know, but anyway, so um, that with, with her having that line, I thought that was also intentional on on Singleton's part because of what message she had with it, you know, and mm-hmm. um, her saying that it's like uh, talking about morals and that young people today don't have them and it's, it's not knowing the right from wrong and things like that and them having to know it for themselves. Um, and I thought that was really interesting to have that on there, especially because she was talking more specifically about Aisha in Chicago's fake relation, marriage or relationship. <laughs> and she called, they ain't married. <laughs> Not more than a bit more than the man on the moon. I said, I didn't know that the man on the moon was, <laughs> we cared about his relationship status. But okay, by Angelou, go at it, girl. <laughs> oh, I think she was saying like, not believing the moon, the moon landing. Like that's not believable. Oh. Either way. Either way. I, okay. <laughs> okay. Anyway, I, they they I, called I do, the thing the thing and knew that they weren't married. Basically. <laughs> and I really felt like that was Isha just more of her like antagonizing Chicago. And cause soon as she was like, and this my husband, she like looked at she didn't even look at him. She looked at Justice and started laughing. Like, ha ha, ha let me make him uncomfortable. Let me pull him in on this just to just to be an asshole to him. Yeah. <laughs> and, and she was. She was drunk. <laughs> right, drinking a wine cooler. He's <laughs> like, drink some more of this juice. So I can put more alcohol in here. Yeah. <laughs> Before we do get on to Isha, though, I did want to highlight that all of the poems that we do here throughout the film that are from Justice are actually written by Maya Angelou. And so I just thought that was so dope of her to give her poems and trust the vision of John Singleton, despite all of the cussing and all of the hood depiction. I just thought that she was. She like that. That was dope. That she wanted to give um, him her words as well as be a part of the movie. So yeah. now let's jump into Isha and all of her, all of her. Where did I really even start? <laughs> <laughs> so Isha, from my understanding, lives at home with her mama. Doesn't have a job. Doesn't have money. She ain't got no job. It don't seem like she do because she get oh. money from Chicago and then she talk about getting money from another dude um, or going on a date with another dude when she when she dropped uh, Chicago when, when they get back. Um, She's a city girl. Okay. Keep going. And I'm just trying to figure out like, why? Why are you like this? And then I realized 
damn, there's a lot of young women that are are like this. And it, it was like she was very, she was very cautious, like uh, concerned about her like image, her physical, like what, like her hair, her clothes, um, her nails, and like even like you saw how when everyone was reflective at the beach, her reflection was about getting her nails done. Oh, and if her mama picked up her clothes from the dry cleaner, <laughs> right? And so she she just comes off really shallow. That's what I'm trying to describe. She's she's shallow. And I would diagnose her with alcohol use disorder. Yeah. And I'm going to just leave it at that so y'all can have some space to talk about Miss Aisha. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, for Aisha, I definitely said alcohol use disorder as well because how could you miss it? So we can call a thing a thing in addition to maybe some other personality things that we could explore about. But also that's that seems very with the times is great. People want to get their nails done, look fly. Like that's very important to have, to have all those things, um, to, to have it done. But for the alcohol use disorder, I was like, yeah, like we can't, I already knew that we want to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Um, so what, did you have something else, Courtney or Rosie, did you want to get into the diagnosis? Now I think Isha, I don't know. Let me be careful how I say this. I feel like she, the way she behaved towards him, it was just like a matter of like, okay, I could, I could replace you. And it was almost a similar kind of concept or notion that has been in the, in the movie of being replaceable, black men being replaceable. And so um, that's how she treated him. And she knew what she was doing. She knew she was playing a game with him and getting what she wanted out of him. And I think what what set him off was the moment she said, and that's why I've been sleeping with somebody else. Now that's when it hit him. But she knew all along what she like her what her intentions were with this relationship, as far as you know, not being monogamous. And what I think that's an issue that that we have in our community when it comes down to not not just our community in general, when it comes to to sex and sexualization, people are not upfront and honest about what they need and want out of a relationship. And we tend to have serial monogamous relationships or where people are not being upfront about having multiple partners. And then that's where you get STDs and HIV. And even HIV was also seen in this movie too. It was, was it, it though? <laughs> was it? Ever so slightly. It was, and, and oh, n- did you know Janet had two pop tested for HIV? No, so uh, let's get into it. You know how I feel about these behind the scenes stuff. I don't. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they were supposed to have a love scene. What we got was the the wave crashing against that big rock, and that was supposed to be a, a symbolism of their sexual climax, I guess, because that's all we got. So she asked for she. I, yeah, I think it would have cheapened it if we got a full love scene because of uh, just my opinion. What happened was she said that oh, I kissed Q Tip last week. I got a cold. So Pac is going to have to take a whole fucking HIV test for us to do this love scene. And so then they came to him and was like, okay, Janet, once you take this HIV test. And he was like, no, like I would feel as well, like a little insulted as to why is it me? If you're not asking anybody else to take an HIV test, why would you be asking me specifically to take one? Mm. And then he was like, well, you know what? If I actually get to lay with Janet and we make love, then I will take four HIV tests. But if we are acting, then no, I'm not going to take one. And so then he told that person that 
They went back to Janet Kemp, told her. So they sent somebody else. They sent like four different people to come and ask him the same question. And each time he was like, no, which I would be too. Why would you ask me if we're pretending, if we're just going to be like rubbing up against each other and that's not how you catch HIV, why am I taking a whole HIV test? Well, there's also a lot of ignorance then too. Exactly. It was a whole lot of ignorance, especially in the early 90s. Either way, she's wrong. The so then if she ignorant, she wrong. <laughs> if she did it on purpose, she wrong. she wrong. If she's making assumptions about him, she's wrong. Either way, and I, we don't necessarily, she never really came out and said specifically response to that one incident. So we don't know if it was her or if it was somebody from her camp. But either right. way, right. that was corny. So we didn't get a sex scene. We got the symbolism splashing. But honestly, I'm so glad because that, I know you said cheapened it, but it's just like, if this is if this at the time was supposed to be an um, epitome of love for black people, that ain't it for me. And so I'm glad because mm-hmm. I feel like then I would have <laughs> that would have been further romanticized and normalized. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's still one fucking day of traveling. So then mm-hmm. we would have then like no and no. I mean, do what you want to do with your body. Be out here for everything. But I'm ta- like in terms of just like the social responsibility mm-hmm. of what was going on in terms of like the the abuse and the violence. That just would have been a lot to just be like, oh yes, this is love. Yes, time is a misconstrued concept in this movie. There's no <laughs> real concept of it. There's you can never tell. Yeah. Has it been a day? Has it been six months? Mm-hmm. We don't know. But um, and while I think that the I don't know just how they would have shot it, like like you were saying with the romantic role, I can't get that word out. Romanticization? No, that's still not it. Either way, um, that, that would have happened. <laughs> But also with the way that they shot the sex scene between Isha and Chicago. And that was so uncomfortable Mm. watching them. Like, I was just like, because you knew she was talking all that ish about him in the first place. (laughs) That two minute man, one minute man. You know, she just going in on his sex sex game. So he's just uncomfortable for him. Like, and then he's like, give me one second. Give me just a few minutes like, to go back at it again. And she's like, it ain't gonna matter. <laughs> yeah, she was, was like, like you know, them cutting her facial expression of just yes. really bored and dissatisfied. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I hate but that. I was actually thinking when I when I said out loud, like, oh, some personality stuff, like I was thinking about personality disorders that would fit. See, I didn't want to diagnose her personality because to me, I didn't feel like full diagnosis. I felt like really it's just ratchetness. Like that's just like if we give a diagnosis, I feel like let's just diagnose it as ratchet because there's no I don't want to make ratchetness like pathologize ratchetness because it is a thing. She's just confused. She's a young girl. She doesn't really know what she wants out of life. So she feels like that this is the best way to go about it. And I feel like some people do have to bump their head in order to learn and figure out their their path in life. But I just feel like she's just ratchet. Let her she'll grow. I mean I would I wouldn't challenge that she don't know what she wants. She just wants something that she she wants to know that may not be the best for her. To, to be in a relationship or have expectations of yourself or other people. But, you know, that's definitely a message that she got from somewhere. It's like, this is how you treat men or part mm-hmm. of survival. They're going to treat us like this. So I might as well mm-hmm. not care right. about them. Right? Mm-hmm. True, true. So, you know, I think we should write a letter to um, the American Psychological Association and ask for there to be a ratchet diagnosis <laughs> and the DSM-6. Only, um, only if insurance is going to pay for it. 
So right. then, <laughs> can I bill for okay. ratchet as a diagnosis? And I want to <laughs> develop the criteria. I don't want them to develop the criteria. No. I don't want it. I don't want it to get diagnosis. Yeah, you're right, because then they're going to try us with that shit. So maybe we should uh, all bless when we get diagnosed. People, like, sometimes people feel like they, it gives them, like, sometimes a diagnosis feels permissive, right? So right. this is, like, I get, this is my conversation about racism or white supremacy mm-hmm. or something like that being the diagnosis. And it's just like, nah, I don't do that. Yeah, true. Do I have a diet? Mm-mm. Nah, nah. That racism is a, is, a, is a spiritual diagnosis. You're evil. That's how I feel. But um, yeah, so going back to Isha's alcoholism, that was <laughs> what I diagnosed her with as well at the moderate level, just because we, from from the information that we have, um, I felt like she met quite a few different um, criteria points with the uh, taking in larger amounts and with her drinking down to the middle. I felt like that was, you know, there was that with the, the time spent and activities necessary to attain alcohol as I, soon as they I got to the that. first gas station. She was like, okay, now, and look for the one I want, Justice. Go check that one. <laughs> Make sure that we get what I'm looking for. Um, as well as the craving or strong desire or urge to use alcohol. Like we said, the first thing that she wanted to do once we got to the con- gas station, continue alcohol use despite having persistent or recurrent social or interpersonal problems caused or exact exacerbated by the effects of alcohol and everybody kept telling her like yo you're drunk like you're drinking like this is why I don't hang out with you so we see that this was something that was clearly happening over time and people continue to bring it up as an issue and then alcohol is use is continued despite knowledge of having a persistent or recurrent physical or psychological problem that is likely to have been caused or exacerbated by alcohol so I feel like she was definitely aware that alcohol was causing issues for her and she just still continued to drink because you don't never want to have fun no more justice like this was what she felt like was fun she was enjoying her time and despite the fact that she saw that it was causing problems in her relationships and then it took for uh janet jackson's terrible acting i I feel like they should have just recut this scene or did whatever but where she tells uh isha that her drinking it reminds her it was triggering for her with her experiences with her mother Mm -hmm. and her drinking and Regina King carried that scene because Regina King is a great actress, but Janet, that was terrible, and <laughs> they should have reached out. We that. just pause for a second to say the acting in this movie all together <laughs> was terrible. Is not good. Like I'm like I I'm watching the movie right now. Not to say I want to be in your kitchen, but I can tell that I'm watching it right here. Janet Jackson, just as a homegirl, is just not believable. I'm sorry, ma'am. You're right. Janet Jackson. You're Janet Jackson. <laughs> right. Your whole life, you've been Penny. Or like you are pity, <laughs> right? So you can pity your whole life. How the hell you can't act? Like <laughs> the fuck? Not even that. But you don't know anything about this. Like you, you've had money your whole. I mean, your whole I life. You can remember. I don't know when their money really started coming in, but yeah, y'all left you know, Gary like when you were in South Central. Wait, I was about to say that movie. What's that long uh, movie with the um, living in South Don't Central? be a menace <laughs> to society with South Central while drinking your juice in the hood. Yeah, you don't know what it's like to be a menace in South Central. <laughs> <laughs> juice in the hood. <laughs> so I have another diagnosis for Aisha. Okay. Oh, okay, let's hear it. I was thinking histrionic personality disorder because. Okay, I can see. I, I see where you're going with that. Let me, okay, let me see okay. where you're going. Right. And I'm gonna have some questions. <laughs> override my ratchet. Let's go through the criteria. All right. So, um, a pervasive pattern of excessive emotionality and attention seeking, beginning by early adulthood, 
and present in a variety of contexts as indicated by five or more. So here's the five that I would choose. Is uncomfortable in situations in which he or she is not the center of attention. Interactions with others is often characterized by inappropriate, sexual, sexually seductive or pro, uh, provocative behavior. Um, so for that, I would say that's at the family reunion with her flirting with the other guy. Displays rapidly, my action. <laughs> <laughs> displays rapidly shifting and shallow expressions of emotion. So that makes me go to that scene where everyone's self-reflecting at the at the beach and she's talking about getting her dry cleaning. Uh, consistently uses physical appearance to draw attention to self. So again, uh, concerned about her nails and hair. Um, has a style of speech that is excessively um, impressionistic and lacking in detail. So again, um, the lie that she told Aunt May and Aunt June and Aunt April about her and Chicago being married. And then shows self-dramatization, the theatricality and exaggerated expressions of emotions. Just her overall expression of emotion, like her crying uh, when that that whole terrible acting scene but her, between her and Janet is suggestible, easily influenced by others or circumstances. So she was very um, easily influenced by Chicago and just circumstances in general. She's just kind of like, oh, this isn't benefiting me anymore. Let me go ahead and move on to the next guy. And considers relationships to be more intimate than they actually are. I wouldn't say that she thinks they're more intimate. That one, That last one doesn't really fit her. That last one brings me to the question of were they actually like to me, I felt like they were dating. But then like as at first, but then as we continue, I'm like, were y'all boyfriend, girlfriend? Like I was confused as to what I think they were, too, Mm -hmm. as to what the status exactly of their relationship was or if they understood what that was. Because at first it just kind of seemed like he said he let he let Lucky call her a whole yamp. Like, yeah, I'm bringing a yamp. I'm bringing a joint. And so I thought mm-hmm. that they were just like casually dating, which case it made sense for her to have other dudes like, OK, that's, you know, whatever. But then as we go on, it's kind of like, oh, y'all are at least Chicago believes that y'all are like boyfriend, girlfriend, because. Mm-hmm. They relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I do get a lot of the points. Um, do you feel like the suggestible I'm hung up on the suggestible? Easily influenced by others or circumstances. She wants to do what, what what the what everybody else is doing, it seems. So if everybody else is going to the hair show, let's go to the hair show. That's what everybody's doing. Oh yeah, she don't have no business at the hair show. Okay, no. yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> You're just going just to go. Okay, I forgot about that. So let's just go. You gotta go anyway. So it's just like yeah. So okay, what do you think, Rafaela? I love histrionic. As a diagnosis, we do too. We use it a lot. People, yeah, it, I think it's so interesting, and I'm, I, I. Yeah, in terms of real life, what that looks like is so interesting when you're navigating mm-hmm. those spaces with folks who are working with that uh, personality survival response. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I love that. I love that. Finger snaps, mm-hmm. finger snaps. And I think it can fit. I mean, you know, we've got what, seven out of five that's needed? Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Um, <laughs> but I was also wondering maybe of like, maybe some narcissism there. Yeah. I'm always struggling with that one because we all have, we, again, we're all pushed to survive, right? So we have to do what we need to do. We all have a little bit of all of this stuff within us. But I was wondering about like lack of empathy came up in terms of like the way she treated men in general, but especially Chicago, having, mm-hmm. having this idea that she's more important than she really is because of what she has experienced. So knowing the history from the previous scene and what that has meant, I mean, the previous movie in Boys in the Hood. And what that may have looked like for her growing up the rest of her life now in this movie. So maybe she has special 
privileges or treatment because of that. Mm-hmm. But also just the way she talked about like um, sex and like what that means and what she can get with that or who she can call to get a need met. In addition to sense of inflation of her personality and who she is and how that kind of comes. So I think, yeah, yeah so she, then that pushes me towards like, okay, so then is it, are we also possibly could consider borderline because she is having that constant back and forth with Chicago of devaluing him and then praising like, this is my husband, this is my babe. And we, you know, kissy, huggy, huggy. And then you can't hang. That's why the last bitch left you. Like, and so then I'm kind of, then her not wanting to be alone. And so then she, while she's saying, I'm gonna quit him, but I'm gonna call Terry fine ass or Tony, whatever his name is, see if he could take me shopping that not wanting to have feelings of abandonment as well. And so I feel like once we, oh, is it just ratchet or is it one of these? (laughs) Yeah, I feel like for borderline, that's always a sensitive one because I think especially for, there's so much discrepancy when it comes to black women, right? So some people may- Yes, I feel like ratchet gets diagnosed as borderline so much. For for borderline and bipolar, black women get that Mm -hmm. a lot. Um, So I I try to be a little cautious with that just because Especially in the black community, we quick to call someone bipolar. If they just smile one minute and the next minute they're mad and you're not even looking at the situation. Mm. Like you can't respond to. <laughs> All my life. Bipolar. Everybody call me bipolar. It's I not hate it. No, just it's not it. a quick back and forth. Like that's not, that's exactly the opposite. I'm just moody. I'm just so, moody. Can I have a headache? Okay. Shit. Stressing me. <laughs> Calling okay. me bipolar. But yeah, so I think it's interesting, again, like, uh, recognizing um, how these different symptoms may show up when it comes to personality and what they really mean. So, yeah. but I, so I we're confused. It, we don't know. I think it's, <laughs> it's the summation there. I think what we will, what we can leave it as is that we do need more information to really make a sound um, either diagnosis or decision based on the things that Isha is presenting with in her symptomology. I will say though, um, just as a bit of self-disclosure, Isha really brought out some things for me because of her communication style. And it did feel like she was to the point where she was trying to purposefully antagonize Chicago. And I have been um, and witnessed Oh, it's that ugly place that I'm sure uh, both Justice and Lucky did not want to be in of hearing two people argue like and they're having their thing and it's right here. That is so uncomfortable. (laughs) And them really, really going at it and them having serious issues that they're going back and forth on. But instead of like addressing the serious issue, they are just bashing each other. And her getting to the point where she is trying to push him. Like, I see he's right there on the edge. Let me just push it a little bit more. And so, ooh, it was triggering. I was like, oh, oh my gosh. Oh, I've been in that. Oh, oh. (laughs) Yeah, it is. I mean, when it comes to communication and even more specifically arguments and not being on the same page with one another, it quickly goes to, um, I don't feel heard to, I want to hurt you. Right. And so mm-hmm. if we're not able to slow down and pause to reflect in the moment or pause for a break so that way we can regulate ourselves and then come back to have a conversation, it's like you're you're going to disassociate or you're listening for pauses so that you can speak or you're just going to speak over the person and then you're going to start jabbing. Right. So how can I just hurt you? And you saw in that moment where it's just like you knew it was going to come, but you're like, you don't even have to say that. You don't even have to say that to him, but you decided you wanted to say, and that's why da, 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 da. it could have been left alone, but it was that 
that sense to be on top, that feeling of wanting to be on top and to win. Plus, I think also backed by the fact that she had already decided that she was going to drop him, you know, after this trip. So that if there was anything there, you know, that was probably already released where she wasn't being as cautious because now she, I don't need your money. I'm already going to leave you beforehand. Maybe she was being a little bit more cautious so she can get the things that she wanted out of him. Oh, okay. I just had the thought. Do you feel like this was basically her having and creating an excuse to leave? Like, yeah. I like, uh, you know what? I done made up in my mind. I'm leaving, but maybe I don't have the skills to effectively end a relationship in a healthy way. So let me say this to put the stamp on it. And I know it's going to push you over the edge. You're going to react. And so this is my way out. Like, boom. And now, yeah, now I don't have to tell everybody that I just didn't want to be with you because like, we don't match. We, we aren't sexually compatible. We aren't getting along. It's just, he hit me. So then there's a reason to mm-hmm. be done. I can say that, but I can also say there was a lot of agitation right there the, to the point where I, when he just kept bothering her, I was like, I couldn't remember what was going to happen. I was like, I know she never fall off the cliff. Like, I know that's not what's going to happen. <laughs> the same thing. I was like, not the cliff. Get away from the cliff. I can't remember from watching it so many years ago, but there was like, so I can't really say for sure if that was a tactic because he was antagonizing her to the point where it escalated that way, where originally she was just chilling. She was just like, let me just gaze out into the sea and just gather myself and be alone. But, you know, that does happen, right? The easiest way sometimes it feels like to break up is to have a big fight or make the other person break up with us just because of the, the meaning that we add to breaking up and how it feels like a failure or something or somebody has to be, someone has to have something wrong with them. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah, I was really sad to see that they were they it got to that point because I remember just like you, like there's something that happens here. There's a, a high peak, there's a climax here and I, I can't remember. And then when he hit her, I was like, damn. Yeah, this is it. This is the awkward moment. Yeah. And then when you mentioned narcissistic for her, I was thinking that for him. And it was interesting. There's this meme that's out that says basketball shorts under pants was a wild error. And I think <laughs> the brush, the brush for the waves was a wild error too. My man. That's he's still here. He's still been doing that. <laughs> it's wow. Come on. Uh, and let it go. Well, we don't see as many wave caps as we used to go back in the day. Like, I feel like always wear wave caps everywhere. And now it's really like for my waves at night. I don't just be, you know. Okay. And, and also people are going their hair out more too. So True, true. I think the era has changed, but you don't see every little, little guy in his class brushing his hair nowadays. You definitely saw that in the 90s. <laughs> but I mean, I thought he was, he was very much into himself. And especially like when Tupac was like, uh, he, he, him and Tupac, him and Lucky had a relationship, an interesting relationship as well, you know, and it, it kind of was like, I think Justice was like, aren't y'all supposed to be friends? And he was like, I don't, I don't care about he that said, nigga. I just work with him. It's, it's and Lucky like, said, fuck that nigga. Fuck that nigga. And so it's like, cause he kept, he, t- he kept taking jabs at Lucky too at times. And even when he, he was playing his cousin's music, and he was like, I mean, why you always got something negative to say, man? At least the nigga being creative. Fuck, he ain't creative. I'm creative, all right? What, what you do? I can dress. You know, and that that's all he had. <laughs> <laughs> and he not even in the fucking union, okay? He's talking oh, all he this shit, nigga, and you ain't even in the union. <laughs> you ain't shit. Post office working, motherfucker. No union ass, nigga. You work there, too? I'm in the union. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just like, okay, so what... 
what do you really have going for yourself? So I would give him narcissistic, but that's just, that's not even me looking, even bothering to look at the criteria. It's just his personality gives me narcissistic. Gives me desperate. (laughs) He was giving me desperate to fit in, desperate to be seen, to be wanted, to be fly, to be all these other things that I think was a mark of success where they live, right? At that time, to have certain outfits and to have money, to be able to give women money, right? So that you are more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? In demand or a, an attractive partner because of that. And then of course, like brushing it. Even after the brush got thrown, you picked it up and started brushing. I'm like, so we still worried about these ways in the back? Um, yes, as you walk and the rest of the way and it's eat. Um, but yeah, were you going to say something? Okay, so I want y'all to uh, follow along with me because I have some questions and I have some theories that I want to, you know, bounce off with you guys. So I want to know, why did Chicago leave Chicago? So in my mind, there's a backstory there. I'm going to make this up because we don't know. And it's our show. We can do whatever we want to. So in my mind, Chicago might have been involved in some level of gang culture in which he had to leave and he might have experienced all of these all of these different things. You know, there was there possibly some gun violence that really just ate away at his security as a man because he did pose to me as very insecure and had lots of feelings of inadequacy. And so I'm wondering if some family might have sent him away. And so that kind of is where that feeling of inadequacy comes from because he didn't have the ability to stand up to whatever problem and face it. And so that created some inadequacy in him. And then I diagnosed him with two things. The first one we clearly see, and it's right there. And that's the premature ejaculation. And that is also in the DSM, uh, because it definitely was only like seconds of sex that happened. And so there is the persistent or recurrent pattern of ejaculation occurring during partner sexual activity with approximately one minute following vaginal penetration and before the individual wishes it. And so, so wait a minute, why I'll, I, pause. Okay. I'll pause to okay. challenge that. You are the, the, the specialist in this area. Please educate so me. The thing that's missing there is the is the distress, right? So it has to cause the person with the penis to be in distress in order to meet criteria. So just because, because they can come in a minute and be like, all right, I'm about to go to sleep, right? And so we don't really see that response until he's kind of jabbed at it a little bit. Yes, the jab is what I felt like the distress was because when she was like, that's why the last bitch left because you can't hang. And so I was like, oh, stress? (laughs) For him though. You just hurt his feelings. Okay, I'll, I'll so give it back. You're the so, specialist. I'll let you have it. I'll take away what we've seen your so ejaculation compared to the clients that I see who come in where I'm diagnosed with PE is not that. There is so much. There's depression. There's performance anxiety. Right. He was able to just get it up and get ready. Right. Versus kind of pausing and being in his head, wondering, Am I going to come soon or not? What's going to happen? You know. Um, so some of those things are missing. However. It is definitely in under the minute, so we can maybe push to say maybe he's had that experience before, caused some some distress there. But so I'm he, making up, he, I'm he, making up certain he, stuff. He might be in remission. What you say? <laughs> he might be in remission. Like he, he was okay until she triggered him. Maybe the distress <laughs> right. is in remission. 
Yes. <laughs> so that's why I was like, and that's why I have more questions. I was like, I need the backstory because was this a lifelong issue that he was battling with? Did he handle, experience some level of uh, trouble or violence that ca- caused this to be an acquired something that happened over time? And I do feel like he does have feelings um, of anxiety. And, but that is why I put also diagnosed him as obsessive compulsive disorder with the hair brushing because if you think about it yes any time where he put that brush away he chose violence whenever the brush went away it was about to be a physical altercation of some kind or sort and so i can go Mm -hmm. through the criteria for that as well and see how it matches and that's the recurrent thoughts persistent thoughts or urges or images that are experienced at some time during the disturbance and intrusive or are in unwanted and that in most individuals cause marked anxiety and distress. And so that is where I'm feeling like he might have these feelings of inadequacy and has experienced some anxiousness about that. That's why it is so important for him to present himself in a certain way in the way he dresses. That is why it's so important for his fate to be on point. And he's constantly telling himself, I am a catch to kind of combat the, the natural feelings of inadequacy that might be there. And then the compulsions are the repetitive behaviors which in other cases might be hand washing or checking other things, mental acts um, that the individual feels driven to perform in response to an obsession or occurring to rules that must be applied rigidly. And so that is the actual act of the hair brushing. And so I felt like those were the things that were kind of like it's time. He's he's doing it in different settings. He's doing it at work. He's doing it in his leisure time. It's happening all throughout the day. It's not the result of um, a substance or another medical condition. And I feel like he might have like poor insight about it as well. Sometimes I don't even reckon, I don't believe that he recognizes that he's brushing each time that he pulls out the brush and does it. And I feel like I'm wondering if it's a a compulsion because of his feelings of inadequacy that he might have in my mind, because I'm creating stuff that he developed as a result from whatever happened in Chicago that made him then come to LA. I like that. I like, I, I like that you weave that together. I also wonder, maybe, I, we don't know the story about Chicago when they were in Chicago and why that could have happened. But also, could it be in response to being in LA? So maybe there's something that happened, we already talked about what that time was like, so things that he witnessed, because we don't know how, we know names stay with you. He could have moved from Chicago when he was like five years old and then been from <laughs> Chicago since then. Um, I don't have an idea of how old they are, but we can imagine that they're between 18 and 25, right? So, <clears throat> excuse me. Agreed. But I, I, I like that. I like what you did with that one, for sure. It's a little old. You know, every once in a while, I be knowing what I'm talking about. <laughs> so good about that one. Because I, I really went down a rabbit hole, y'all. And I was like, yo, I need to know what was really going on with Chicago. Because like you, like you said, brushing your hair with a sandy brush, like mm-hmm. there, there's more with that there. And then I felt I, I'm really mad at both Chicago and at Lucky for how that situation played out. Um, I'm yes, and as well as Isha, because Isha, you antagonized that situation. Um, so I'm mad at ev- everyone involved, I guess, except for Justice, because she was the only person to intervene in a way that is understandable and rational. Yeah. Um, but I mean, even like after, even after, so Lucky was like, that's their business. They're our yeah. business. Mm-hmm. Then Chicago hits Aisha. So then um, Justice runs out. He put his he tried to cave that bitch face in. Like, you he know? really cocked back. And, like, the first one was a slap. That next one was a full on. Yeah. Ding. 
And then even after that, even after justice ran out, he still didn't. He didn't run out until after Chicago tried to do something. Pushed her to justice, mm-hmm. yeah. He should have been hopped out. Like, this whole thing is problematic. When they were it's protect women. Black women at all, at all times. Not just when they are your brother, either your sister, mother, auntie, girlfriend, somebody who you trying to fuck. Like, protect Black women, period. That's the end of the sentence. There's no qualifiers there. And so I was really mad at, at him for not intervening. Like, oh, that's their business. They Like, okay, we all do know them couples that just beef each other and there's no point in you getting involved because they're going to continue fighting and then they're going to love each other again they're continue fighting right. but you should not allow that in your presence and then I was mad that he allowed Justice to get out of the car by her, the truck by herself and then she kick him in the nuts and then like he legit throws her on the ground before Lucky then responds and which I thought was also weak I felt like Chicago wasn't in his clear state at that point and I felt bad because a lot of the arguments that they had before that, he kind of was saying like, how much do I have to take from you, Isha? How much do you do I, Do I you need me to take from you? And like, he was kind of almost trying to communicate, like I'm reaching that point with you where it's like, things are just going to go left. And mm-hmm. I felt like Isha was kind of, I think that I have also been guilty with this. Ha, you mad, ha, 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 you mad, like type antagonizing. And so I felt like that she almost enjoyed that back and forth and she enjoyed that like how bad can I hurt you type thing and so yes I was mad at everybody involved but I felt like Chicago like there is something else there that isn't being addressed like no he's not just yes he is a bum nigga for putting his hands on her and like really like fighting like actual engaging in a fight like it wasn't like she rushed him he tried to restrain her was like no let's stop like I'm sorry no like it was legit a fight they was tussling and then he tried to cave her stuff and so but there's something else there with Chicago. And I, I just, we don't even, but now we don't know if he got a job. Like now I just feel like a terrible prognosis for Chicago. Cause it's not going to get better. Cause he probably going to get fired because he might still be walking to Oakland right now. We don't know because we left him on the side of the road. <laughs> leave him your ass. Hey, you don't leave me, man. Leave the moles, man. Walk your ass 15 miles to Oakland with no cell phone because this is 93 with like we don't know if he had any money or quarter to use a payphone. the next payphone was probably 10 miles up yeah and needed help same my motherfucking day and we told him that it was just him so now it's like he didn't show up to work for the Mm -hmm. um the drop or for the pickup or whatever they were doing and yeah so but yeah i like that as a response because we know um when it comes to OCD, there can be um, trauma, it can be anxiety, it can be so many different things that's trying to regulate the, the nervous system in some way to find, to create that pattern. So yeah, okay, I, I'm, I can sit with that. I can sit with that. I have one question, guys. Yeah. Are we like all in agreement that the call, that the one that, the one dude, I'm Dorsey, <laughs> all county football, I will get in your ass, sexy Dex. Okay. Are we all in agreement <laughs> that 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 call was, he had AIDS. I didn't want to yes. assume that. Cause I was like, why the one gay dude in the, in the like it's. Mm-hmm. I feel like that was the call. Yeah. 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 Cause it, there wasn't much else to say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was like, and yeah, the way it's not even somebody died or it's just, and it, it's just crazy because like it's never communicated. 
But I bet anybody that you ask that watched that movie comes to that same conclusion. Mm -hmm. And so while I'm like, thank you, John Singleton, for bringing, for making sure that this important issue that was uh, running rampant through our community is being at least addressed in some way through this movie, even if it is unrelated, like it's an important issue for us. But at the same time, I'm like, I feel like we all assume that because he was a gay black man. Yeah. Well, I think it is related because we're talking about the black experience in, in L.A. at that time. So, I mean, it was prevalent, especially, you know, especially in the communities where there was intravenous drug use. I mean, if you're doing cocaine or crack, especially crack, you're likely injecting it. So I, I think that it kind of showed just like it just <laughs> took it all in together. What? You smoke crack. You inject I mean, heroin. Heroin. Sorry. Oof. I'm <laughs> sorry. Not that I know these things from like experience. I'm just... I mean, we have to I do substance it. use counseling. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't want everybody to be like, Courtney, <laughs> you sound like you have experience with these things. And uh, uh, uh. You, in, you inhale that shit. I know. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me. Yes. <laughs> Either way, crack and heroin were definitely prevalent at that time. <laughs> so I do, I can see it. And then especially, you know, um, LA, especially for um, HIV and AIDS, for the, the gay community, especially, it was it was very prevalent, still very much so. But then it was, it was there, it was considered the gay man's disease at that time. So um, I, I'm just trying to figure out, I think because it is the black experience, that's why it's included. But it was very interesting. It was very like, and then you saw the random baby mama drama as well. You can say what you want, like random. You remember this? Every time you kiss him, you taste the mouth pussy. You got to go. <laughs> <laughs> and wasn't her hair already done? I'm like, she came all put together to the shop. Okay, maybe she you know how you live, girl. Um, maybe she did come just to be petty to deliver her line and walk off. Cause she like calmly walked off. She ain't even say like, I need to reschedule with right. such and such. Right. She just walked out. So mm, That's maybe. True. I low key was like, what happened to playrooms like that? For some Yo, odds. I was, them kids I was, was all running in rampant in the background, won't they? Every time somebody <laughs> was in front of it, like balls was being thrown, kids was getting tackled. <laughs> they said, act <laughs> like you're in there with them kids. They said, act like you're playing. And they said, say less. Okay. <laughs> I was born for this role, okay? I am prepared. If we learned nothing else from this film, I hope that we are setting our standards higher for what um, romantic encounters can be when you are first meeting someone, because let's remember all of that road trip took place in like a day. Um, we still don't know who shot Khalil. And most importantly, we don't know why we went to Khalil's house before we dropped the girls off. And, Please keep your nails clean. Your nails are clean. I wonder why. So, Rafaela, um, before we go, please let everybody know how they can get in touch with you, different services that you provide. I feel like I am definitely going to sign up for that next webinar that you have coming up. Um, count my coins and I'm definitely registering, but please let the audience know how they can um, learn more about you and the services that you provide. All right. Well, thank you so much for having me on the DSM podcast. It has been such a pleasure. I love listening to it and being able to have that nostalgia um, when I'm listening to your conversations and then going back to watch the shows. So again, my name is Rafaela. Thanks, can- girl. That's the goal. <laughs> <laughs> 
So for everyone listening again, my name is Rafaela. You can find me on Instagram at Healing Exchange. That's Healing X-C-H-G. And I'm also um, on the Twitter and Facebook under the same name. So no one had it. You can find me. I'm also co-creator of Afrosexology, which is a sex positive, pleasure based sex education business centered around the sexual liberation for Black folks specifically. But of course, we welcome and educate many folks. And we offer workshops, webinars, workbooks. So if you're interested in that type of thing, you can go to afrosexology.com to learn more. Signing up today. <laughs> Can't wait to have you. <laughs> if you would like to support the show to help us get more content out to you all, you can visit our website and follow the support the show link to become a Patreon member or donate on our cash app. Now we're happy to get the kind of money that jingles, but we would rather the kind that folds. As always, be sure to follow us on Instagram at the DSM podcast, and you can subscribe to our show wherever you get podcasts. While you're there, go ahead and leave us a comment because we are counselors and actually care about what you have to say. So until next time, y'all, peace. Okay, bye.